Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Saturday Morning Life. Yo, Joe, myself, Umar Bhatti, and my co-host, Nushra Zafar, Rahana Lajima, and joining us remotely, as always, is uh, Hamad Khan. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you all doing? Walaikum salam. It's, uh, it's good to be here, as always. Uh, weather is typically January-like, but you know what? At least it's not freezing cold, so, so very happy to be here. Yeah, you know what? It's actually not that bad. Compared yeah. to last week. Last week it was oh, very, very chilly. Yes, minus so, six. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're able to cycle in. That, that's good enough. <laughs> okay, someone's cycling. Uh, but yes, uh, we it is still uh, slightly cold, but we are here for you once again. And again, we have uh, a jam-packed session for you. Uh, and as usual, we will start off with the news headline. So, Noshwan, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, so... Uh, recent sort of addition to the, to the MPs' uh, register of interest shows Matt Hancock, who obviously quite famously was on uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here not too long ago. He earned £320,000 for his appearance over a number of weeks. Uh, broken down, that adds up to about £17,000 a day. And, he said, uh, and his spokesperson has confirmed that he's donated £10,000 out of that earning fee into charity. Now, normally we don't talk about people's earnings and, and their contributions to charity but I thought we'd bring it up this time because Matt Hancock when he when he signed up for the show made a very big point about he was going to go on on there to raise awareness about dyslexia and other learning disabilities now people have actually kept track of did he keep to his promise or not and and he well I, I think we'll leave it with the listeners to to dis, to make their own mind up on on whether he did a good job or not but the first mention of dyslexia by Mr. Hancock on the show came over two weeks into the jungle. All right, let's not forget there was no guarantee he'd make it that far to begin with. But anyway, um, after that, there was mention of it just four times uh, throughout the remainder of his time on the show. Um, but in addition to all of this, it has caused him a lot of political difficulty back at home as well. Um, of course, there, there there were questions being asked about his role and performance during the, the COVID pandemic uh, over the last few years uh, in his capacity as, as the health secretary. Um, but but more importantly, he's had to, to, to resign or rather been booted out from the Conservative Party because he, he decided to join this show without seeking prior approval. Uh, so he now sits in the common as an independent MP. So the question really is, what next for, for for Matt Hancock? He he's arguably now a disgraced MP. I.e., the party he spent his political life with has disowned him, um, and, and of course his constituents are fuming. They're saying that that we've elected him to represent our interests in London, in the political sphere, uh, and instead he's gone to the jungle in Australia to earn obscene amounts of money. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll pass it over to you boys in terms of what are your thoughts? Uh, not so much on um, his appearance on the show and yes or no, I think we, we've covered that back, back, back in the day. But more along the lines of he, he made big promises around raising awareness for certain causes, uh, including raising funds. Uh, given this news, do you think this is all just sort of a, a saving face or do you think he, he, he's the, the real deal? Um, I think he would have. Uh, I think it was a point of embarrassment the way he went out, and then next next announcement is that he's an I'm a celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of us thought, thought that okay, what a joke. So I think that was a bit of um him trying to sort show some sort of retribution or getting back. But like you mentioned, I think when people in his position or of that kind of the leadership um, make promises or verbal proclamations, we are kind of expected or we do keep them account 
that you made this promise what are you doing about it or are you going to fulfill it and if you feel that they are not able to fulfill it outside of their actual work life then how would you expect them to do that mm. as a leader mm. right yeah. in the government yeah um i to be honest um i haven't followed this news as much um i was definitely surprised when he went uh to these celebrity shows because um i think he'll make a great per- great celebrity to be honest um yeah, ed balls has uh, one of them previously so i think he'll he'll make a perfectly good celebrity um but uh, in terms of whether he's paid enough or you know that's something between him uh he's he's sort of fulfilled his promise in a sense that he's paid the charity um of course we can look at the figures and say oh you know he's only paid three percent uh, it does seem quite uh quite a minute figure to what what he, what he got but at the end of the day um you know we, w- the way he came out saying that he's going to speak about x y and z and uh it contributes so much you know every, the, i think the public did have a bit more uh, ex- uh expectation that he would donate uh, quite a larger sum uh, but nevertheless i think uh, his uh, party are still upset that he left to go to this um this enterprise you can say really so yeah i think we, this is where we stand um Hamad, i'm going to bring you in quickly i know you always have uh, something to say about politicians uh and uh, good morning to you good morning guys yeah it's um great to be on it's always interesting i remember uh, actually yesterday i was just at a coffee shop and there was two school girl, school girls just after school having coffee and one of them just shouted out really loudly just three percent and she, 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 it was quite funny just to see from my perspective how disgusted they were. But I always think of, you know, it, it's funny to what degree politicians are now changing into, like, personalities. And I think that's what Matt Hancock thought as well, that he thought that, you know, when you go on headlines for all the wrong reasons and you tr- attract publicity for, you know, your personal affairs more than the work that you've done and the dedication that you've put towards public service, you have this ideal celebrity in your mind. Um, I don't know why you'd consider yourself a celebrity like that. But, yeah, uh, it, it, I always ask to what degree does the public, the British public in particular, need to be, be showing more evidence that certain, you know, t- t- people in the political sphere will go through any length, essentially, just to fill their own pockets. You know, it was not just this uh, TV deal that he had. He was also promoting his book, um, which, you know, he got loads of money for. I think it was his pandemic diaries and he was trying to portray himself as a hero. But, yeah, it's just it's just a bit shameless. It's all shameless to me. Thank you for that, Hamad. Uh, we'll go with the next uh, news headline to Rohan. Uh, yeah, I wanted to keep a bit lighter on my side. <laughs> but uh, I was in Asda a couple of weeks ago um, and I was looking for sparkling water, as you do, uh, my favourite. And... Uh, I was looking around, couldn't find any. And a woman, well, a worker, as that comes up to me, and she's like, "Are you looking for Prime?" And I was like, "Wait, what do you mean?" She's like, "Oh, uh, it's run out, so you have to come back uh, six in the morning. So when you open up, and that's when we have some of the shelves, and it goes immediately. So be there on time." And I was like, "Okay, so." And it's funny because obviously we've been hearing a lot about Prime recently, and it's all all over my social media as well. When you're looking at feeds and people kind of selling it at extortionate prices, like extremely expensive. So I was wondering. Um, maybe we should tell the viewers a bit about this. So, um, Prime is a new drink, which is run as a joint business venture between two big social media personalities, Logan Paul and KSI, is what, is what they're known as. And uh, it came out as a bit as of, of a surprise because KSI and Logan Paul used to be in a bit of a 
social media enemies or they're battling and they had a boxing fight and everything in the past as well. So they weren't best of friends beforehand. Uh, again, this might all just be one of their marketing ploys. So they're both known as being very, very good at selling themselves and their marketing um, kind of the experience and the things that they use, um, especially with Logan Paul's younger brother as well, Jake Paul. I think Logan Paul even had a fight with Floyd Mayweather, which is obviously a big, Floyd Mayweather's one of the best boxers in the world. So that's really, really putting yourself out there. And I know they did a bit of promotion for the Prime itself as well, even in the UK, where I remember there was, um, they turned up by Nasda. Nasda was the first um, shop that was selling the drink, that was um, stocking it. And uh, there's a huge crowd that has turned up to see them. And they, it was just a quick social media post, we're going to be as that today turn up and hundreds of people turned up. So that's kind of the power they have. And uh, one thing we're seeing is that, yes, there seems to be stocks. They claim, KSI claims, that stocks are available, but only that much is being put in that keeps the drink at high demand. So immediately they're put in the shelf, they're gone. So Aldi put them out for a month um, only. And that was really bad. So it used to be, um, they used to be, I've seen a lot of clips or like videos. And then a lot of people send their parents to get it for them and they just snatching it out of kids' hands and everything. Um, and we've seen also some people trying to sell it on eBay. And the prices we saw were 1,000 to 2,000 pounds per bottle. Uh, just the just the energy ring. Yeah, uh, famously uh, TikToker Wakey Wines. Wakey Wines, yes. One thousand pound, or you know, just I don't know if it's real, but he might be doing a marketing trick as well there. Yeah, and he's getting a lot of popularity out of that for for no reason. Yeah, but you're right. And then um, a lot of people ask now, what is this actually? So it's supposed to be a um, beverage drink, which is supposed to give you energy, but it has no caffeine in it. And uh, people are actually asking whether it's good for your kids or not. So. Uh, Dr. Linia Patel, who's an expert dietitian and sports nutritionist, mentioned this. She mentioned that it's got coconut water, um, which provides sugar, and you don't find this as much in traditional sports drinks. And it also has electrolytes, which are normally lost when a person sweats from their body. Uh, but she says that this is only really necessary, and you only need, to re need it if you are exercising very a lot. So for a general person, it doesn't have that benefit. So I guess most people are just trying it for taste. And I think they've got about five or six flavors and it's obviously increasing and uh, going worldwide, starting from the US. But uh, I've not tried it. Have any of you tried it yet? Yes, I'll have to put my hand up. Uh, I have tried it. I tried the, I don't know what the flavor is called, but it was red. So it definitely was uh, some sort of punch flavor. Um, I had only, bit, uh, only a slight uh, little cup and because uh, we were sharing amongst four of us. And it was, uh, for me, it was a bit too medicine-y uh, type. Uh, so mm. I wasn't a big fan of it. I'm sure that uh, other uh, flavors are slightly better. I might have picked the worst one. Uh, but at the time, I was only given that one. So uh, you can say uh, I might have pulled the short straw uh, but not a big fan. Not a big fan. Maybe, of maybe the other players. Next, maybe next show we can, next we, show, we can maybe, get all of them yes, and uh, rate not? them. Noshi? <laughs> <laughs> No, I can't say I've I've uh, joined this sort of circus train. To be fair, and, and I've got no, I've got no desire to either. Um, yeah, energy drinks, uh, uh, as you just mentioned, Rohan. Unless you're 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 sort of an athlete or engaging in in a lot of heavy activity, um, pro probably not much benefit to, to to the everyday person, is there? But it's crazy how how they've been able to create a huge hype around just this one drink with so many flavors. It feels like it's like a pop-up shop around the U around the world or around the UK. 
yeah, I think there's probably a bigger conversation to be had about social media personalities mm. uh, and, for lack of a better term, the clout that they bring. Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about certain influencer in our most recent show recently, um, who obviously has been in the news for, for being under arrest mm. um, in Romania, but we're not going to name him here. Um, uh, and I think that's probably part of a much, much bigger discussion, probably not one for today, but about where these social media so-called influencers sort of sit in our society, do they actually play any meaningful role? I would say no, but let's not delve into that any further, I guess. Yeah, indeed. And I'm going to hand over the question to Hamad. So, Hamad, have you tried a prime drink? I'm, I'm sure you haven't. I don't see you as a prime realist. <laughs> yeah, not really. I do remember I walked into my uh, local corner shop just to um, grab something quickly and it was on sale for £12, not as extortionate as um, you know, £1,000, but... Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's an incredible business venture. That you've got to hand, you know, hand it to them for the hustle that they've done, and you know the amount of frenzy that everyone's going over just for essentially Lucas Aid, right? It's, yeah. it's nothing revolutionary. It's just their packaging, their marketing. So you know, it's it's, it's uh, interesting to see. Yeah, and. Uh... <laughs> That is pretty much what this story is, you know. Uh, it, it would be a good show to actually do it around, um, you know, the wider conversation around it. Uh, influences, are they, you know, how important they are part of our society and uh, to younger generation at the moment. But Hamad, we're going to go to you next uh, for a, uh, a news headline. Yeah, so this was recently in the news and um, it's uh, about UCAS stitching personal statements for university entries, which I thought was quite um, radical, I came out of nowhere. I'm in the tutoring business for university, particularly medical applicants. Um, and it was just quite astonishing to see that UCAS is now saying that they'll no longer require students to write personal statements when applying for universities. This comes um, amid some sort of conversation and narratives that the personal statements typically favor middle-class students because they have better access to high-quality advice and guidance. And I'm sure that's not, you know, untrue at all. Uh, the 4,000 character essay is essentially what the personal statement is. So every student, whatever, your, whatever university course you're applying to, um, you either have to write up to 4,000 characters, or I think it was something like 40-something lines or whatever it is, um, usually just one side of A4, explaining your passions, your commitment, and your desires and dedications towards the course and the career that you're hoping to apply for. Some people have been saying that, yes, I am pleased that, you know, this is a, a reform that's been taking place because it's always advantaged and favoured, you know, not just middle class people, but anyone who has the privilege of getting further access beyond just their school. And um, apparently UCAS consulted around 1,200 students, 170 teachers and more than 100 universities and colleges before making these reforms. I don't think that's enough. I, I, don't, I don't know about you guys. I, I think it's quite, it's, it's so extraordinary the way that we're moving in. Um, towards this idea of like equality and diversity and inclusion to the point where you're now trying to say that writing good English is a very privileged thing to do, which is absolutely, I, I, I don't know, it, it's quite astonishing. And I, I know we'll touch, on, touch upon it later as well, but, you know, the only reason why I think that this can be worthwhile is when we've got the rise of, you know, AI copywriting, essentially. And, you know, I around that university i know a lot of my mates who've written essays and plans and whatever else um using using these software so you can consider writing to now become quite redundant i guess in assessing students abilities but the idea that this is supposed to make it more equal 
um, I don't know. It's just a bit wrong with me, but it's going to be interesting to share your thoughts as well. Yeah, Hamad, uh, quick one. Have they uh, set an alternative to personal statements? Yeah, they have, so the alternative is that they'll be just asking students questions. So I imagine this will either be taking in the form of the interviews or there'll be like an online sort of screening. Maybe you'll have to hand in, you know, like a video sort of question, essentially asking why why do you want to study this? Why What, what are your commitments? What have you done previously? Just essentially, it's the same thing as a personal statement, but it's now in the form of questions being asked. Yeah, it's uh, quite interesting. Um... I remember when I was doing my personal t- statement, it was a, probably the first time I, I wrote a personal statement. I think we can say for all of us university students who've, who've gone. And um, it was um, it was quite difficult to write. The reason being because I hadn't had a job at that time. I didn't know what uh, the purpose of a personal statement. Now I see it and I'm still questioning why is there need a personal statement on a job application? Or, well, it's not a personal statement, but it's more of a cover letter. Uh, you can say it's pretty much uh, goes hand in hand. Um, but uh, replacing these with questions, I feel like they're just changing the words. Um, at the end of the day, the purpose of it will be the same. Um, it will just be uh, worded and displayed differently uh, in what I see. I mean, there's mm-hmm. potential for, for, for benefit here, right? Um, l- like Kamad, you mentioned, a lot of, uh, say, middle-class students who've got access to, to resources, to people, um, can, can have, I wouldn't say an unfair advantage, but an advantage that... That, that other people may may not have um it, it's i guess it's not your fault if if you just happen to know more people around you although uh, i can definitely see that as creating two sort of classes amongst people but the the idea of bringing in these questionnaires or almost interview style questions it means that that whatever you're asked is authentic because i i mean my my personal statement i went through 13 iterations um to, to get it right I got help from someone who was applying to, to Cambridge that year um, and I basically got them to help me because I was like well if you can get an interview from Cambridge then surely you can help me get an interview at the places I want to go to right so, so you're one of the middle class guys. Oh, I'm not I'm not middle class I'm firmly working class but it was a case of my school arguably was a bit middle class um, so yeah I did feel a little bit sort of the outsider while I was at school but let's not delve into that um but yeah no it's the idea that asking questions it's very much just like how you have for the job process isn't it so so it's a case of you can't have someone coach you beyond well you should probably talk about x and not y but but it's a case of they can't tell you the exact words and and how you're going to answer a question when you don't know the exact question and the exact wording because I'm sure UCAS will have some sort of process to ensure every single applicant isn't asked the same questions worded in the same way. Otherwise, that would be a very easy one to, to, to just uh, prepare for as well. Um, I think I, I agree with you, Umar. It was uh, personal statements like the first time you write like a CV or cover letter type of um, document. So it can be a bit difficult. I think that what you mentioned, the iterations, that was useful in terms of being able to show your teachers and they give you feedback and then you improve that. But I do remember that I don't, the personal statement is not used as much by universities as far as we know in terms of engagement with the student. They might read it and that's it. But I think apart from certain subjects like medicine, you don't actually get questioned about it. You know, you'd expect something like that, they'd come back to you. So I guess what they're trying to change it into now is that people do get questioned about it. So rather than them having to write it on a piece of paper, yeah, they have to still prepare in their head, right? Why do I want to do this subject? Um, where's my passion coming from? What experience have I got? And then they have to mention that in the interview. So I guess it has a benefit and a drawback as well in terms of you won't be able to prepare your best answer. Obviously, a personal statement is supposed to be your best. Um, 
and you won't actually get that practice of writing that as well because mm. the first time you're writing that you actually learn a lot as well yeah that is true and just before I go back to Hamad um, just a quick stat uh, which I found 83 of 83% of students find the process of writing personal statements stressful and 79% believe that it's difficult to complete without support uh, this is on the uh, Varsity uh, website uh, for Cambridge so Hamad yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure they do, and yeah, I mean, a lot of students find a lot of things stressful. I feel like I'm some sort of eight-year-old that's like crapping on the new generation. But the, the the idea in my head is that you know, if you're trying to make remove the process of writing, then you're not allowing students to practice an effective form of communication, right? It's just you know, you're going into university, you're going into like a career where you have to write, you have to form, you have to express and communicate and persuade. So of course it's going to be hard and difficult. It was stressful and difficult for everyone. I come from, you know, a very, very working class background, very, you know, underprivileged area. And it's, it's I, you know, sometimes I think of it as like sort of an excuse. And I, I, I just worry about the future implications about, you know, literacy rates are already affected because of COVID and the pandemic, you know, and now we put in such measures here to what degree, you know, is the long-term effect going to be on people's writing abilities as well. It's supposed to be hard. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to make it easier for you just to remove something that's, you know, supposed to improve your writing skills, I guess. Thank you for that, Hamad. Uh, let's, uh, I do also have a, a news headline for you. And it's not something you would um, see every day or um, it is, again, uh, in regards to Amazon. Uh, nothing too bad, but uh, depending who you are as a charity, they say the Amazon smile. Uh, something that uh, charities benefit from will be closing down. Um, it's something simple you can add to your uh, Amazon purchases. Uh, it doesn't come out of your pocket, it actually comes out of Amazon's pocket and then they donate a small percentage uh, to charities um, and you can also get an update in terms of um, how much money Amazon has donated uh, to your um allocated charity and how much you personally depending on how much you spend with amazon uh, have given i remember seeing us uh, i spend something uh, and then at the end of the year i got a statement saying 180 pound of what you've spent has gone to amazon uh, so it was a really cool uh, method but it's also very useful for some charities who um are now going to be hit hard by this because of the in increasing of uh cost of living crisis and um etc and um Amazon have, of course, also planned to cut 18,000 jobs alongside it. And uh, there are some charities, especially smaller charities, who will be uh, suffering a lot. Some some charities have said that they actually earn around uh, £2,000 to £6,000 uh, from this. So it's really uh, something that they will uh, miss out on. Um, I can already see a tweet from here that worldwide uh, Amazon have donated. Uh, this was... Um, uh, uh, just recently, a tweet in 20, uh, 2023, uh, they've donated 449 million pounds of that 400,000 went to the US, and then they're just showing a small part uh, of a particular charity where they got 9,000 pounds, and you know they are not happy with this, uh, and many charities are not happy. And I guess um, the question really is that at the time of um, ri rising costs, you know, and you know that saying every penny helps or every little helps, um, a big corporation. Uh, is cutting down again on something which uh, society as a general could help uh, or be helped with. And um, for me, it was a really cool small feature on Amazon Smiles, uh, Amazon, adding Amazon Smiles. You just had to literally go on the website. Instead of typing Amazon, you type in Amazon Smiles and any purchase you do that would go to the charity. 
Um, have you guys had any experience with this? Yeah, I've, I've, I've used it for a number of years and, mm-hmm. and it's a great way of just sort of raising money for, for, for your preferred charity sort of seamlessly. You're not buying anything that, that you wouldn't have bought otherwise um, and you just know that a small portion, it was less than 1%, but it's a case of every little helps. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing it and other people are doing it, then then my, my charity of choice is obviously at the end of the year getting some additional income to, to support their causes. But I think... Yeah, this asks a bigger ethical question about how how large enterprises make uh, spending decisions. Um, Amazon's laying off tens of thousands of people. It's cutting its charitable ventures. But but the, there is big questions to be asked. Not, and this isn't a dig at Amazon in particular, but just uh, in big corps, particularly big tech. Things like having really fancy offices with all the lights on, right? Having fancy lunches that are costing maybe $40, $50 a head. I think we're looking at you, Twitter. Um, having having access to, to potentially unnecessary perks to those who are very near the top of the food chain um, uh, in, in the corporate hierarchy. Uh, things like access to private jets and whatnot, whereas you've got people at the very bottom rung of, of, of your, your ladder, potentially as entry-level uh uh, employees uh, as cleaners as maintenance workers and so on um, who are just struggling to make it from paycheck to paycheck and and instead of instead of making cuts on the unnecessary things they actually get rid of people they get rid of sort of charitable ventures now this causes a major issue throughout the rest of society doesn't it as in society and, and our economy in particular depend on the flow of money but if that flow of money stays restricted to, to a relatively small number of people everyone as a whole will suffer um, what are your thoughts, uh, Rahan? I think the same thing again. First thought, that, first thought that comes to mind is that it's an ethical question. So are we expected to hold corporations to account? Are there Should there be some sort of law regulation which requires them to set in rules like this which help out the general, local or wider population, society as a whole in terms of charities and stuff like that? Or... Are they going to work independently and do they have the autonomy and the decision to decide for themselves that, right, we're not doing well financially compared to what we normally do, um, which is obviously still quite a lot, but uh, the decision's up to us. Yeah, I think uh, before I come to you, Hamad, just want to give a few pointers. Um, the average donation UK charities were receiving in 2022 via Amazon Smile was less than £137. Uh, but some charities were benefiting from it uh, greatly. So RSPCA, uh, since 2017, uh, through Amazon Smile, they had been receiving £430,000. A charity called Childhood Tumor Trust uh, said it had raised uh, £2,000 through this scheme, um, which was enough money to send five children to a therapeutic uh, camp. Uh, Further on, it says... Um, Lopez uh, UK had received 14,500 uh, as of November 2022 and one of the larger charities Cancer Research UK uh, through Amazon Smile had re- raised 1.4 million so these are going to be big big um, uh, you know holes in the budget for them uh, essentially uh, which they will have to find somewhere else and um, you know you can say the public are already stretched as, as it is but uh, the generosity of the public at times like this will also always um, uh, be bigger and hopefully uh, we can still support them. But Hamad, um, you can see that there's big holes being left in a charity's budget and uh, they may need to stop with some of their projects. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, 
it's the idea of charity is you know very much important, and the idea that we can fund them and support them any way we can is so important. I always think the idea of eyes and smile, and I know she's pointed it on earlier, is just like figly for like the wider contribution that you can make through, towards your tax services as well. So, I mean, there's not much else to be said there. It's just it, it's just important to make sure these things are protected. Thank you very much. Uh, so we have just gone slightly over our half an hour mark, uh, but we'll be back after a short break and you can join us in our conversation. We'll be talking about um, the new year, our New Year's resolutions. Um, hopefully some of us will be able to share, maybe if you want to share as well, and uh, Doomsday. Uh, remember, you can contact us uh, and it's a live and interactive show on 020-687-7878 or you can tweet us on Voice of Islam UK. Uh, join us after a short break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Saturday Morning Life. You're joined myself, Umar Bhatti, and my co-host, Noshman Zafar, Rohan Al-Ajima, and Hamad Khan. We just finished talking about the news headlines and we're now going to delve into the next half an hour, which is about uh, the New Year's resolution. Um, I mean, it's we're nearly f- at, the, at the end of January. It's the 28th today, so we've got a couple more days left. And um, this concept of New Year's resolution... Uh, to a youngster or to us young, uh, slightly uh, guys in the mid-20s now, uh, a couple of years ago would probably have been something which we look forward to. But as we're growing older and older, we are sort of uh, moving away from it. But uh, during our break, we did uh, speak to uh, our team, see if we had any New Year's resolution. And uh, Nushan will hopefully share this uh, closer uh, to the end of the show and see whether he's uh, successfully uh, done this. But again, it's a progress at the end of the day and uh, New Year's resolution is something you look forward to um, every year, I guess. Uh, it's uh, a time to um, uh, evaluate yourself, uh, see where you want to be, uh, look at how you're going to uh, objectively uh, get to these positions. And um, for some, it's a new start, a fresh year. They may have had a bad year, uh, may have been laid off, uh, may have lost someone, or uh, you may you may not be happy with yourself, and they look to, uh, to this new year as a, 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 a as a means to change, uh, and and as a means to uh, try to become a better human being. Uh, so um, you know, I know for me certainly, I have not uh, done a New Year's uh, resolution, and uh, I'm not sure if any of you guys have, or Bar Nushwan, but Rohan, um, you you got something for us uh, around New Year's. Um, I personally don't, I don't actively set New Year resolutions, but I think con- subconsciously everyone thinks that, okay, New Year starting, I would like to do this or I'd like to change this about myself. This might be good, you know, stuff like that. So I don't actively set a resolution because I think to actively set it, you have to have certain rules and a methodology of doing it because otherwise you're going to lose it within like a week or two, um, which I think I've, I've tried to actually read around this as well. It's about... Um, making notes and uh, tracking progress of what you used to do in the past and uh, how you're going to set change that in the future. I think one thing I think about resolutions is that people often 
set them about things that they would like to improve about themselves or remove from themselves essentially so for example one is uh, i want to cut weight i want to stop smoking i want to stop drinking stuff like that but i don't think those are always the best i think i'd say rather than a resolution you should more focus on goals that you want to achieve so maybe oh, i want to get this new job and change my career or i want to take up a new hobby and uh, stick to that one thing rather than i think people make the mistake of setting a lot of things at once yeah. which i think nasha you you were talking about this earlier as so, well um about then people losing motivation because yeah. they've got too much on their plate yeah exactly so i, I read somewhere recently that uh, i think it's about 90 percent of people are unsuccessful in in fulfilling their new year's resolutions um but but more interestingly most people have failed before the month of january is even complete um <clears throat> so i guess it's important to consider what you're having as a resolution but more importantly how you want to set it out um if if you're just setting a very <clears throat> if you're setting a very ambiguous um target such as i'm going to go to the gym more often or or something like that it doesn't work um you have to be a bit more specific it's almost a case of using smart targets right they they ought to be specific measurable achievable realistic and and you've got to give yourself a time in which you're going to achieve them uh, much like people do in the world of work when they're setting these sorts of objectives you've got to do the same when you're looking inwards but sometimes it could be completely different in terms of it might just be you want to do more of something so it might not be something that's measurable but just more of something so this year i've got no targets other than other than uh um, sort of to say no more often so I was telling you guys in the break um, I've I've got a lot of things going on sort of between between work between my home life between sort of some volunteering activities and, and it, it is quite easy to burn out um, uh, and typically uh, in, in recent years I've found myself burning out more and more often sort of as you get older you do realise you're probably not quite as energetic as you once were um, so my New Year's resolution is simply just being being realistic about what capacity I've got and saying no to people more often. Yeah, um, going back to what Rohan said, I think um, I was thinking about the last time I had a New Year's uh, resolution sort of and it is right not to call a New Year's resolution because we do put too much on the plate um, and then you need to focus You focus on, of course, the first couple of days will go great. You'll, you know, you open a diary, be like, dear diary, today I have <laughs> done th this. You, you, you look at the gym and there's like yeah. hundreds of new hundreds, faces. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and then you're like, uh, hopefully tomorrow will be better. Uh, good night. Uh, and then you write your name. Anyways, um, I remember in 2020, just before the pandemic, my goal was not to have sugar for next three months. Uh, and that wasn't a New Year's resolution, more of a more of a go. And I used the New Year's more of as a means of, uh, from today onwards, that's what I'm going to do. Three months, no sugar, and it helped me a lot. First couple of weeks, tough. I was having, I was I was burning out, but um, and I was so sleepy, and I was uh, was powerless basically, you can say. But as I looked at the goal, I said, okay, it's only three months. I need to do this. I don't need to do this throughout the whole year. It got so much easier. And I guess if we give it a timeline and a goal rather than a, a resolution, we, we look at it as a, as, a, as a goal. I think it will be much easier, uh, e easier to hit the target with. And my timeline was three months. I said the 90 days, and it worked until the pandemic came over. Uh, so um, for me, that that time, I think my New Year's resolution or New Year's goal was pretty pretty solid, and I and, and I achieved it. So. Um, 
uh, that was one of the success stories I had for for the New Year's. And I want to come over to Hamad. Hamad, um, are you a big uh, New Year's resolution guy? Do you watch um, the telly on the New Year's and hope uh, uh, something spectacular happens at uh, uh, London Eye and then start writing? Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, you just wait for New Year's and then there's this like miracle that you think is supposed to happen just like after midnight. Um, no, I do watch the fireworks. That's sort of my thing on New Year's, but particularly on the goals, I think I've sort of fatigued myself out of it. Um, and I think the point that you mentioned at the end, first of all, three months of no sugar, that's absolutely incredible. I don't know how you did that. Sugar's almost in everything. That's, you know, credit to you. But the goal, I think the idea of like setting goals is really good. But there's this um, acronym you guys have probably heard of like, Having, making sure that your goals are smart, so specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and then time-bound. And I think that, you know, if you have that sort of criteria in your head rather than just being quite really loose and lax and saying, oh, I want to, you know, improve myself by doing this, that, the other, and just writing out a list, it's much better to be quite actionable. Um, and, yeah, I just find it weird that, you know, people put so much emphasis on New Year's rather than realising that every day you're making around what is it, 10,000 decisions or something? And every decision, you have the free will, the power and the capacity to indulge yourself to become the best version of yourself. So I think, the, you know, every time we remind ourselves of that at the end of every day, then, you know, it's far better than just to stick to your New Year's. And I think there's like, there's a particular gym, I forgot what it was called, maybe it's not Virgin, it was someone else, where they actually actively don't allow people to sign up around New Year's because they're just fed up of this false sort of hope that people have within themselves and they just cancel up afterwards. So I, that's what I think January is. I think it's a sense of false hope. But, you know, not to be pessimistic, I think every day you can use it just to leverage leverage yourself to improve yourself. Mm. Smart goals, that's what it is. Smart, Smart goals, goals, indeed. Um, yeah, I um, totally agree with that. Um, if you go with that sort of approach. And that gym, I think I read read about it as well. Um, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a gym membership anymore, but uh, I have to cycle out and about or play football. Uh, yeah, uh, Rohan, you have uh, some some stats from yeah, us. I do. Uh, yeah, I've got some. Uh, I want to present some stuff, but I think one one thing we just mentioned as well, which is important. I think Noshi and I were speaking about this like last week as well, is that um, there's not a cert. For example, you want to get more healthy, more fit, or more physical. There's not a certain way you have to try to do to get there. So I think it's better to do something you enjoy more. So for example, you mentioned that you don't go to the gym anymore, but you start cycling more. So I think that those are me- methods that people can use to make their resolutions or their goals more fun in regards to what they want to do as a hobby, but also achieve the same goal from both of those outcomes. So I think that's an important thing there. So one thing I read online was try and make your resolutions fun and something you actually enjoy. Yeah. Obviously, sometimes that's not possible. For example, cutting sugar, like Hamad said, is very difficult. But again, you could probably try to make up with other things, you know. The, the, the reason it was uh, slightly easier is because I was doing with someone else and we yeah. were updating each other a lot. So we knew that we were both in it together. That, yeah, that's, so, that's, that's another thing. Um, one thing you should, uh, I think you should do with your resolutions is tell people. Um, share it actually people because then you're held more accountable that right I've told these people now I need to actually achieve it as well rather than just keeping it to yourself because then you can you know have a cheat cheat around it so having someone with you is a good idea I think and uh, as I'm fresh like uh, Umar mentioned I'm just going to mention some stats from actually which was conducted back in November 2022 so it was about the new year that's coming up and this is by Forbes Health and uh, it was mentioning a relation of gender 
um, what kind of um, resolutions people like to keep. And it mentions that 29% of people who were questioned felt that they were pressured into keeping a New Year's resolution. So it's not something that came comes to their mind. But since everyone else is doing it, they feel that they should also do it as well. And I think this is probably something I can relate to as well. Um, not necessarily that, uh, okay, now people around me are doing it, now I have to actively do it as well. But it does then cross your mind, okay, they're doing this, what could I do or what should I do? So that's always there. And this is actually increasing. So Generation Z, so, so the newer generation, they felt, so 39% of them felt more pressure. So 29 is the average, 39% of Generation Z. So they, the new generation is, I'm surprised because I thought this is more of a thing that we do or people um, older than us do, but it seems that the new generation is more under it and it's higher, it's higher in men than women. So 35% of men felt pressured and 28% of women. What do you guys think about that? Don't be pressured. <laughs> Don't be pressured, yeah. <laughs> okay, no, that, that, yeah, that, that, that's a little bit obtuse. But um, no, you're right. As in different people are, are in different places on a personal journey. Um, for some person, it might be that they want to read more to know more about the world. For someone, it might be to, to improve their health. For someone, it might be to improve their relationship with their parents or their children or whatever, right? So everyone is, is in a u- unique position in their life. Um, so although I can completely understand where that peer pressure comes from in terms of, oh yes, my friend is planning to to, to do more exercise this year and so I should probably join them or so-and-so is doing this. I think it's important for people to be realistic about their own personal circumstances um, and sort of evaluate what's important to them at that particular time. That's not to say that the exercise isn't important or or, or the reading more isn't important, but sometimes it's a case of when you've got multiple things on your on your plate, you just have to prioritize what is the most important thing for me to work on at this time. And and potentially if we move away from this idea of New Year's resolutions into to continual improvement, instead of saying this is the year I do exercise, instead maybe it's a case of, do you know what, over the next month I'm going to try and do a bit more exercise and then maybe next month once you've turned that exercise into a habit then you can look at making another improvement. Maybe it is then to fit in half an hour to read a book every other night for example. Um, and that continual improvement means that potentially you've tried five or six different improvements that have stuck by the end of the year as opposed to just going in heavy and hard on uh, in January with things that are just it's too much to take on too quickly, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right about that. And uh, one thing that we keep mentioning is that um, physical activities or related to the physical body, reducing your calories, exercise, food. But actually, in reality, the stats show that starting at most recently and in 2023 especially, more people are concerned about improving their mental health over their physical health. So more resolutions have been set around that. And in fact... um, improving mental health was actually on top compared to improved fitness, weight loss, and improved diet. So you can see that we shift around the newer generation, focusing more on their mental health. But a lot of people also said that they both hold equal importance, which I agree with. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I, I think without one, you can't have the other. Right? Yeah. For example, if you're not as physically healthy as, as you want to be, or as you once were, that obviously has a detrimental effect on, on your health, right? But, but, uh, sort of the other way around as well if you're not mentally in the place you want to be you don't have the motivation to to go out to the gym or even sometimes let alone leave your house to go for a walk obviously which has a, a bad effect on your physical health so it is very much tied w- tying one into the other um, so as I said 
yeah, everyone's in their in their unique place, and 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 you have to just determine for yourself what's important to you at this very time, uh, and sort of take that first step. So it's not a case of, do you know what? Here's a list of eight or ten things I'm going to try and do all at once. It's a case of, all right, there are eight or ten things. What is the easiest one that I can do right now? And sometimes it's a case of if I start doing one, that's going to open the pathway for me to 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 make the next improvement, and it might be a little bit easier than it seems right now. That I say, for example, you're doing something to to support your mental health, then that might make it easier a m- month or two down the road for you to actually start doing something about your physical health as well. Um, so, so yeah, I think doing things bit by bit is probably the best way to go about it. Yeah, um, I think that's a general conversation uh, we're having around uh, New Year's resolution. But I wanted to delve into the how as a believer uh, what you know someone people who believe in god um and as muslims ourselves how do we um practice new year's resolution do we have new year's resolution or are we actually already every day reflecting upon the mistakes we're doing or the good things we've done or asking for forgiveness praying five times a day because really for a believer, a New Year's resolution is every day, right? It's every day that we look ahead. Uh, maybe at the end of the day when we go to sleep, we, we think about the the day we wind down or we get a part of the day where we start self-reflecting and we're like, maybe I shouldn't shouldn't have done that or well, I should have been a bit nicer to that. Maybe that's the New, New Year's resolution for a believer that we continue to, to make strides in the right direction and that we self-reflect uh, properly and we get this opportunity to self-reflect actually five times a day and we get to ask for forgiveness five times a day uh, which is of course salat uh, uh, the, the the prayer so i guess um our sort of if i, if I want to put uh, us versus them then the way a believer does a, a new year's resolution is more centered around how can we please god more how can we become better human beings how can we uh, try to fulfill uh, God's rights and the rights of others and have we done a good job of because New Year's resolution is also I, I, and that's my personal view that New Year's resolution is also a, sort of a thing that you show off to others that you know look I've done this can you you know look uh, uh, I'm a bit vain about th- things and I want to show off uh, this to you but in, in, in for, for a believer it's more around I'm trying to do this for God uh, and I'm trying to do this for God Almighty and Am I doing this correctly for him? Uh, you know, financial sacrifice, personal sacrifice, time sacrifice, you know, all of these sort of sacrifices we're talking about as a believer. Even if it's just volunteering for your community an hour a, day, an hour a week or an hour a day, uh, uh, you know, these are all the consideration we, we, we take. And this is what His Holiness has always said to us that, you know, we should self reflect uh, uh, daily. And uh, it's not something we should be doing once a year. And, um, uh, he's given a huge list as well, and if we look at the uh, at the list, which I'll go through a, a bit after, but I just wanted to get your opinions on this as well. No, I definitely agree. Um, when it comes to to actually uh, self improvement for for a believer, it really is a case of having that introspection to 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 review, having an honest review of yourself. I think no one knows themselves better than that person, right? Um, we know our strengths, we know our weaknesses, and it takes a completely oblivious person to, to not be aware of those things. But more importantly, it's a case of 
striving for continual improvement and continual improvement if we if we look in order for that to be uh sort of realistic and possible we've really i think we need to be looking at it as tomorrow has to be one percent better than than today we can't be aiming for for 10 we can't be aiming for 100 percent better it has to be one percent right and what you'll see is if if you build a series of one percents it can build up slowly but steadily right but but there's a real risk of if you try going for a complete character to change in a day then chances are you have probably had to make huge sacrifices in terms of your other responsibilities and commitments so your your goal could be that i'm going to read the quran more but if instead of saying do you know what instead of reading once in a day i'm going to read maybe 10 times in a week but instead you go do you know what i'm going to spend all of tomorrow reading then all of a sudden you've or you've negate you've neglected your responsibilities to to potentially your family and other 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 things as well and while reading the quran is a good thing it it has to be balanced with other responsibilities god almighty even says that that we have our responsibilities to to other people right and we have to discharge those uh, in addition to our responsibilities to him and it's a case of it, the balancing is extremely important so something my dad used to say to me a lot actually was doing good should be done little and often rather than striving to change the world in one day right because if if you go to do that you're so focused on just doing the one thing you you forget there are actually a series of other things that you are also responsible that you are also accountable for um uh, and if you can't maintain you you your due diligence in those areas then that one good deed while very good means you've neglected a series of of other responsibilities too i think i think that's just got me self-reflecting as well now and i think that's the whole purpose i think nasha himself mentioned earlier as well about how he does it to a new year resolution but he thinks about it um throughout the year or around the point in the year and that's what you mentioned umar as well that the role of a believer is to self-reflect every single day you know um what have we done today to make ourselves better what are we going to do tomorrow how can i improve tomorrow and uh, i think that's that's really really important as well i think we mentioned two things here which were physical and mental health on top of that i think the most important thing is your spiritual health because all three of these are intrinsically linked together and one will na- naturally affect the other as well and i think this reflecting thing um is also very important because we are it mentions in the quran that even on the day of judgment um is what the, the thing that you reflect on what did i do why didn't i do this more or or, or i would have been in a better position right now if i done this so even the holy prophet peace be upon him as a narration he mentions that the feet of the son of adam shall not move on the day of judgment until he has asked about five things he will be asked about his life and what he did with it he will be asked about his youth and what he wore it out in he will be asked about his wealth and how he earned it and where he spent it on and what he did with what he knew so with the knowledge that he had so i think these are these old points of self reflection i think which fit into our resolutions or our lives goals and uh, things we try to achieve all the time so again the overall question is how did i spend my life yeah uh that is a great way to put it and uh, hamad you have uh, something to chime in as well yeah i mean it's just all about i, I think it's quite interesting talking about intersectional religion and self improvement because the entire enterprise of religion and spirituality particularly within islam is 
A, increase God consciousness, to increase your awareness of God, your relationship with God. And that inevitably comes out with how can you then set out to self-improve yourself. That, you know, like, like you, you all mentioned, and we had a discussion on, do you pray five times a day? How often do you pray? What's the quality of your prayer? Do you give to charity? To what degree are you improving yourself, improving your morals? And then also, and you know, the beauty of the Islamic teaching is then to what degree are you improving your environment? You know, you, you have a relationship with God, you have a relationship with others, you have a relationship with your communities as well. So I, I, I think it, it's really interesting how this conversation has shifted because self-improvement turns from becoming this very selfish thing to becoming this very like communal sort of aspect of like, how can you help improve yourself to be better off for others as well? How can you improve others' condition as well? Um, but yeah, the very idea of self-reflection is inherent in everything. And we hear it with the stories of the prophet, um, Prophet Muhammad sallam, who went to Cape Hira at the time when you know there was wide immorality. He would self-reflect upon his own condition and ask for guidance as well. So yeah, self-reflection very important, I think, and it's a fundamental of just improvement on the basis of religion. Thank you for that, Hamad. And yeah, as I was saying um, before we end the segment. Um, so this was a sermon from uh, December 30th, 2016, and His Holiness Hazrat Mizar the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, the Islamic way of celebrating the New Year. He gave uh, quite a few guidelines as to how a believer should uh, really uh, be um, uh, looking at um, the New Year's, and he gave quite a few um, a few few questions that one should ask. Um, and I would just pick a few, um, you know, and ponder over the fact that has the previous year been spent in safeguarding against falsehood and treading on the path of truth? And the next question is that have we kept ourselves away from such events that lead to ill thoughts? Uh, have we protected ourselves from unchaste glances? And are we still protecting ourselves? Um, uh, then we need to question ourselves that have we safeguarded against uh, all forms of maltreatment or have we uh, protected ourselves against treacherous acts? Have we protected ourselves from every kind of mischief? Have we safeguarded ourselves from all forms of disorder? Uh, have we regularly offered uh, Salat five times a day during the last year? Uh, and we need to ask, have we offered the Hajjat? And uh, have we been regular in sending Durud, invoking blessings upon the Holy Prophet? Uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, as it's one of the main commandments from Allah the Almighty. And um, and it's also one way uh, a prayer is heard. So there are huge lines actually in this uh, Friday sermon, which was on the 30th of December 2016, uh, delivered by His the fifth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, in regards how a, how a Muslim should be celebrating the New Year's. And of course, as a community, we celebrate New Year's uh, together uh, with the uh, the Hajjad prayer, and then how to spend the whole next year is. Uh, up to us and individual and our relationship with God so uh, let's take uh, it's going to be the 11 o'clock news so let's take a short break and we'll be back after talking about uh, something uh, related to the doomsday and why it is important and what has happened so join us after a short break simplified answers to frequently asked questions why is gambling prohibited in Islam material gain and the accumulation of a large amount of wealth is not something that Islam encourages Having money should not be a purpose. It should rather be treated as a means to be used to achieve higher spiritual objectives. Gambling makes one obsessed with money and encourages greed, so that one becomes engrossed within his constant desire to increase his wealth, which goes against the spirit of Islam. 
Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Saturday Morning Life. You're joined by myself, Umar Bhatti, and my co-host, Noshwan Zafar, Rahan Al-Ajima, and Hamad Khan. We've just finished talking about a New Year's resolution, uh, how we spend it and how we may not spend it, and how a believer uh, should try and spend uh, their time as a, uh, and try and set goals for New Year's resolution. And uh, it's been uh, quite a, a good topic. And um, as you know, this is a life and interactive show, and we're now going to speak about doomsday. And I'm sure you have uh, some strong opinions about this, uh, why it's moving closer. And uh, Noshi will give us a few details. But before I do, uh, you can call us on 0208-687-7878, or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK, and we would love to hear what you have to say. So doomsday, Noshiwan, um sounds uh, scary, is scary, and it has become scary, and Give us uh, your two cents. Yeah, so just just to, as a bit of background in case anyone has missed this news, um, the Bulletin of uh, Atomic Scientists uh, gather together and provide uh, an update on their view of the current global situation in terms of how close humanity is towards uh, a, a sort of a potentially uh, annihilation event. Uh, that that is self-inflicted. Uh, this doesn't sort of mean things like asteroid strikes or anything. This is very much a self-inflicted hit. Um, and so the, the, the doomsday clock really, it's a metaphor for the dangers facing humanity. Um, and the clock is updated by, by a panel of scientists um, and experts at the Bulletin of Atomic uh, Scientists. Um, the, the, the clock was started by uh, the Albert Einstein um, and a group of scientists that that were working on on the original atom bomb, um, following sort of the realization of wow, this is something that we've created and has the potential to to potentially annihilate the the whole world, um, and so they they provide periodical updates in terms of uh, based on the geopolitical situation, but more recently they've actually made adjustments to the time based on, for example, climate factors as well. Um, but as it stands now, uh, this week they've announced that they believe we are now 90 seconds to doomsday. So again, I should clarify, this is a metaphor. That doesn't mean uh, at nine, uh, what is it, uh, 11 past, we're all going to be obliterated, right? But what this does mean is that, that humanity is inching ever closer towards, in this case, uh, it seems a, a military conflict that, that could have huge, huge repercussions around the world. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll sort of ditch the, the the niceties as in it is very much a case of these scientists uh, as as with many people across the world are concerned about an all-out nuclear conflict one that could inflict devastating damage that would result in in, in catastrophic uh, effect to human life for generations to come assuming people survive for generations to come um so this is obviously on the back of what's going on in Ukraine. Um, if, if we if we look back to February last year, February, March time last year, uh, we covered it on the show then as well. Um, a lot of Western countries, while while angered by by the situation, were keen to, to stay out of, of, of the conflict in Ukraine for, for fears of it escalating into a larger East versus West conflict, which... It's particularly dangerous considering that the United States and Russia combined have the vast majority of all nuclear weapons in the world. Um, now, in, in recent months, the positions of, of Western nations, uh, particularly those aligned with NATO, has has seemingly shifted. 
um, where they've been sending longer and longer range missiles and, and, and weapons. And, and just in the last couple of weeks, various Western nations have now promised not just tanks, but full on heavy uh, tanks, which are a full uh, sort of leading battleground tanks um, it, onto the war zone, which which are expected to be delivered in the coming months. And, uh, and, and so obviously Russia is has been saying that we will consider anyone who who supplies Ukraine as as party to Ukraine and therefore uh, uh, a a legitimate target. Now, what's yet to be seen is so far they've restricted all strikes to to within the territory of Ukraine. But the concern for a lot of people is that one false move leads to a serious escalation, um, and that could res- or. And we've had we've seen a, a potential escalation recently when there was a, a missile that landed a few miles inside the territory of Poland, which of course is a NATO member. Now, for those not in the know, the NATO Charter uh, has uh, has various treaties, but uh, I believe it's the Rome Treaty or whatever it is. But uh, Article Five, you've probably heard of it a lot, means an attack on one member is seen as an attack on all members, and therefore all members in 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 the alliance are expected to come to the defence of that nation. Now, at that point, NATO chose not to enact Article 5, believing it was purely a, a misunderstanding or, or, or uh, an error of some sort. Uh, there, there was no significant damage that took place, um, and I think that probably was the right decision. Um, but of course, it shows just how precarious our situation is, that should there be some sort of technical uh, glitch that, that results in a missile landing outside of the, the war zone and potentially in a NATO territory, which, let's be honest, is most of the land outside of Ukraine at the moment, there is the very, very real uh, possibility that an escalation involving the United States, Britain, France, Germany, and so on, could end up at, in all-out war with Russia. And that's not a situation that most people want to see. Um, so that is sort of one one major prong Um but but there are other there are other elements to it as well. There are increasing numbers of local wars uh, across the the globe, sort of territorial disputes. For example, we look at China and India in the Himalayan region. Um, we can see that there is a, a a trade war effectively that has now begun be- between the United States and China all over semiconductor chips. Um, there was an interesting video I watched about this last night actually. Um, but 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 sort of to summarize. The U.S. has a monopoly on the design and and manufacture of chips. Um, compu- computer chips are used in everything. The computers we've got here in, in the studios, the mobile phones in people's hands, your your telephones, your toasters, anything. But more importantly, they can be used for military purposes as well. Missiles, ships, whatever the military uses. All of these things have some level of com- computation taking place in the background. Um, and China is the number one. Uh, purchaser of microchips in the world at the moment. 40% of all of the chips that are built in Taiwan under license from US companies are bought by China. Now, ultimately, what this has led to is China China has made great strides in in its military capabilities on the basis of US design technology. Now, the US is is understandably concerned. They don't want anyone to to challenge their authority, if you like. Um, And so they've restricted the sale of chips to China. Um, problem is Taiwan makes 92% of the world's microchips and China buys 40% of those chips. So China saying that we're going to take over Taiwan could happen, probably won't happen because they won't be able to run the factories that build it. But what they will do is probably 
slow down the release of chips for everyone else. And as you can imagine, politics is a dirty and nasty business, right? And although some of us are probably thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? Ultimately, sure, it might mean that my phone becomes more expensive to buy because there's fewer chips to make it with. But more importantly, the the militaries of both these countries are effectively prodding each other at at this time, saying we're going to stop you getting what you need just so that you don't get a step up on me. And uh, the doomsday you were talking about, uh, the clock, uh, Noshe, is has it has been updated so has it been ever this this close um before or has it been changed this close uh no so, so so it's currently at 90 seconds to midnight so this is the closest it's ever been um so in in sort of the view of these scientists we are now closer to a catastrophe than mankind has ever been before it's worth noting that during 1962's cuban missile crisis that that event came and and thankfully was resolved in such short time that, that, that the bulletin didn't actually have a, a chance to update their clock, although I'm quite sure it'd probably be closer than 90 seconds, as it is right now. Yeah, and um, I was just checking, um, just reading through an article, and it had an FAQ at the end, when did the Ukraine war start? And um, it said February the 20th, so we're getting ever so closer to the one-year anniversary, you can say, of uh, the war, and it still hasn't... Um, sort of helped either side uh, and um, still lives are being lost and it, it, it's sort of pushing um, you know it's the reason we're having all of this uh, cost of living crisis uh, energy crisis because a lot of um, uh, s- supply and demands are coming from and uh, from that region and Russia is um, uh, Russia and Ukraine both sides are fighting out and you know you can call it a proxy war from from the west that they're supplying uh, um, uh, peop- uh, the uh, Ukraine. So essentially, we have a, a very, very uh, tough uh, time coming ahead. And if this is not sorted out, uh, we'll be in real, real danger. Uh, Hamad, you wanted to come in and uh, speak about the wider effects and uh, the response of people uh, to Doomsday. Yeah, because I, you know, I think we, we are at a time now where we talk a lot about crises and you know collapse and cataclysm as well. Um, and it's just interesting to see, you know, people's emotional reactions to it. But I was just reading before that, you know, as Noshi mentioned when introducing the clock, that it's supposed to be a model that's not just spitting out a random sort of number, but like an expert sort of judgment. And I guess it's, I was just reading about the design behind it. And the idea is to sort of spur reaction and um, sort of move towards a safer world stability um, by looking at how close we are to a certain precipice. So it's a prediction that's not supposed to be informative, but supposed to urge, I guess, collective world, global leaders, political leaders, leaders of change to just start making action to remove themselves of the danger. But I, 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 and I also think that it actually there's a sense of anxiety that's sort of generalised now about, you know, the future. Generally, I was just on my Twitter feed the other day, uh, actually just yesterday, and there was a public health conference and apparently they had invited a, a fossil fuel company um, and there was some sort of like a representative from there. And there was a very emotional um, young uh, conference uh, sort of attendee who spoke out and she was crying the whole time. And, you know, she was being very vehement and saying that, how can you do this? It's horrible that you've invited someone of this. You know, they're part of the problem that's putting the world at danger as well. And of course, this idea of the doomsday clock, the climate change disaster is supposed to be sort of contributing to us inching ever, ever more towards that 90 seconds. But I, I mean, there's two sides to it because there's also this, and I 
I read of this recently, the idea of the apocalypse, the etymology of apocalypse, like the definition and the origin of the word apocalypse, and you can apply this, I guess, to doomsday as well, very loosely, is not the ending, but rather like an uncovering or an unraveling of a new pathway. So the idea is that when you're at such a horrible sort of situation, it's forcing a redirection of where you should and need to go. So as much as this sounds very negative and like gloomy and we talk about Ukraine war and, you know, these other proxy wars and like these trade wars and like greed and at a large scale and how it's, you know, coming at the cost of human lives. I think it's also, I guess, perhaps better to um, reframe it. You know, we're talking about New Year's goals and whatever and it's all about perspective and see it as not obviously as a positive thing, but see it as, okay, actionably, what needs to be done? You know, I, I don't think the um, bulletin actually produces some actions on what needs to be done. Like maybe I stand corrected, but I guess that would be quite a good thing as well. And I guess that's a question to you guys as well. What do you consider, in your personal views, actionable things that could help us move turn back the clock from doomsday? I think I think the point you just mentioned about reframing the question or the discussion is very important because, like you said, um, I was keeping track of what some people are saying on social media and Twitter um, because obviously Doomsday Clock had been trending for two or three days. It was up there. Uh, a lot of people just making jokes, uh, making memes or saying this is a lot of fear-mongering or they always do this, trying to scare us. But like Ahmad mentioned, it's important to reframe that question because people do become normalised towards hearing these discussions if they go on for years and years you know the doomsday clock as we mentioned has been at the worst for four or five years now compared to what it has been ever in the past so people become numb to that discussion or okay they're like okay nothing's really happening um they just keep mentioning this but it is important for people to understand this i think if you look at the history and we actually understand who are the people who started the who the atomic bulletin bulletin and who was doom, doomsday clock about is actually from the team of scientists which were working on the manhattan project the first ever nuclear bomb that was made and then um, used in japan so these are people who one regretted the actions and also wanted there to be more accountability meaning that scientists will make advancements all the time and that could be advancements of dangerous nature as well of weapons and defense but they say that there should be more accountability on those people who are using it. So if a scientist in science invents certain things, then there should be limitations and rules in regards to how to use it and who's allowed to use it, etc., stuff like that. And they were also fearful of straight after the war. So this is they started in 1947 about the race to nuclear superiority between the Soviet Union and the US, which was the case then for many, many years to come. And uh, obviously we probably weren't, we weren't alive at that time. But for those who are, well-known or who have knowledge of this, know how serious it got back then and uh, how close we were to nuclear warfare. So to say compare a current point to that, is it's, it's a very, very dangerous situation. Um, a lot of people claim that we were very, very fortunate in what happened um, in kind of de-escalating that situation. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, almost don't understand and see the danger that we potentially are in right now because... World War Two finished over 70 years ago. Um, the Cold War is now a distant memory. There's been an entire generation of people born since the, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. People today, and unfortunately it comes back down to politicians, the people actually making the very decisions between nations. Uh, um, uh, and it's a case of that sense of danger and that reality check of, of the, the, the repercussions and consequences of any conflict seem to have been lost on many people people 
uh, it's also potentially somewhat combined with the idea that there are so many uh, sort of references to war and warfare in in video games, in pop culture, in movies, and so on. It's not that it's been glorified so much, but they actually the the dark, dirty, and and extremely miserable reality of of such conditions. No, Josh, you're absolutely right, right there. I think I think the games and uh, all the things that you, our youth are exposed to has really, really um, desensitized them. So I think one of the things I really, really dislike, and uh, every time there's a mention of uh, um, an advancement or something that's happened in Ukraine or any kind of yeah. war around the world, there's a culture of making memes and jokes on the internet. Yeah. So people saying that, oh, we're trying to make it more lighthearted or trying to make a joke out of it or whatever. It's not that serious. But I think for a lot of people, it is serious. Yeah, as in people don't realise the reality of trying to, I don't know, bandage a wound in a cold, damp trench exactly. right yeah. when all you've got is an old sock as a tourniquet right as in these are horrible horrible conditions you wouldn't wish upon anyone right and yet the reality is that and again this is probably a rabbit hole for a conversation another time but politicians politicians make the decision to send the young men of their countries to fight with young men of other countries in order to achieve what exactly i'm not quite sure still right um, we thought with the fall of the Berlin Wall, the, the rise of globalization, the idea that, that we can live in harmony with each other and, and sort of respect the fact that, yes, the Russians are different to, to, to the Americans and so are the Chinese and so are the Indians and, and all the European nations are different, but we have a common interest, i.e. that we all want to live a happy, healthy life and each one of those countries and nations can bring something to the global plate that supports someone else. So, for example... The US might design software, the, the Chinese might build certain things, the, the Europeans might produce certain kinds of foods. I'm just picking out random examples here, but the point is that everyone has something to bring to the table um, that is in the greater interest for the world. But slowly, people seem to be moving away from that and moving back towards a sort of a Cold War us versus them thinking uh, pattern. It's, it's very much the case of it is Cold War 2.0, if not necessarily with the Russians, although arguably it still is. But it's more a case of the Chinese now, obviously, are, are, the, are the major communist nation in the world. Um, obviously, the most populous nation in the world, the largest economy or soon to be the largest economy. So they are clearly the powerhouse and they don't like this idea that there is a hegemony by a single nation and its followers. And... <coughs> Obviously, as as a country that's enjoyed the privilege of effectively being at the helm for, for the last century or so, it doesn't want to, to, to leave the stands either. So it will be interesting, if not somewhat concerning, how the US, China, Russia, all these major countries decide on what is a sensible model going forwards. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're getting this sort of indication of we're 90 seconds to midnight to annihilation or apocalypse. We just need to look back at history, you know, look at when, uh, not Russia, when uh, the US dropped uh, nuclear bombs. And at that time, it wasn't even the biggest bomb. Now we have even bigger ones. And we know what the effects are. We all learned in history. And I totally agree with the uh, desensitization uh, with, um, you know, the youth especially. Uh, that we you know uh, do and um it, uh, at, at the time when the uh, <clears throat> uh, the ukraine russia war started of course I, I i was totally scared i thought you know 
this this may be you know start of World War Three and um, or start of some major major uh, issues happening and and it is still a major issue because uh, we're all the West us youth being in, in the West us being in England and the UK supporting Ukraine in whatever way possible uh, we are part of the part of the uh, problem you can say or uh, part of the part of the conflict. So to me, uh, you know, you just have to look at the history uh, uh, to, to to get me to understand. But at the, at the end of the day, you, 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 somehow we gotta get um, we, we got we gotta get this doomsday clock to go back, and it comes to the point that people have forgotten uh, why we live in this world, why we do things in this world. Uh, Norshe, of course, beautifully mentioned that you know each country does offer something, and they do. Each people have been gifted uh, to do things in in, in in a certain way, and we're all a creation of God. And I think that's where it comes down to that if we uh, self-reflect, and again that comes to our first topic, which we had today as well. If we self-reflect on what we have uh, uh, have been come down to uh, as human beings is that we're, we're just a God's creation. We're all the same people, but with different uh, characteristics, with different. Um, uh, skin color or, or or race or, or nationalities but then we're the same people so if we forget about these uh, rat race in life or the the fact that we want to become the best of the best and we actually adopt the middle ground in this uh, I think uh, people will start realizing but because we are all lost uh, and we are not um, reflecting upon or going towards uh, God Almighty because we forgot our 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 manners, uh, we 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 are in the situation, right? Um, what's interesting is that His Holiness uh, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed, the the head of the worldwide MDA Muslim community, right? He's been he's been mentioning the risk or of of a, of a global uh, apocalypse like catastrophe for for many years. If if I recall correctly, the the first mention I I, I remember was. In, in a Friday sermon back in 2010, I think it was, um, is, is my first recollection of, of when His Holiness sort of mentioned that, that there is a potential for, for the global situation to get a lot worse. And and at that time, actually, he, he, he recommended members of the community to actually start holding uh, so, some preparations in their homes. Um, so some additional food, some water, medication, things like that, that were there to be a conflict or any other large disaster, um, people would be able to be self-sufficient for, for the first couple of weeks until hopefully uh, local governments and so on had begun to, to provide help and resources to people. Um, and it at the time, I remember, um, I, I was extremely worried thinking because obviously I was a lot younger then as well, but it was a case of, well, if His Holiness is saying that we ought to be preparing, does that mean something's happening next week or or like that? And obviously in hindsight, we, we look now as, sure, maybe it wasn't meant, maybe there was no risk at that time compared to now, but, 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 but the messaging was spot on because actually since then, unfortunately, we've seen international relations deteriorate further and further and further. And it's a case of you just don't know when that that poking of the bear is going to be the 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 one action that actually triggers a much much larger escalation, and God forbid if it leads to something more significant, then obviously His Holiness's advice will will prove invaluable to anyone who's heeded to it 
in terms of anyone who who does potentially end up in the midst of of a conflict but if they've got some some food some supplies they might be able to uh, to to take care of themselves for the first couple of weeks take care of their families um uh, and sort of await further help at that point i think i think we I think we'll start off looking into the um action points now so as hamad mentioned earlier as well and I think one of the things we've mentioned is the reflection and heeding the warnings that people and leaders are giving, those that are giving. So one of them you've given an example of His Holiness, Hazim Isa Masroor Rahman, who has been doing actually for over 20 years, so since he's become a Khalifa. And in fact, this has been a part of the history of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, where starting with the Promised Messiah, the founder of the community, he accurately predicted um, the events of World War One and World War Two, and what will happen, and also spoke of war um, that will happen afterwards as well. So the Khulafa throughout the ages have been speaking about this. And the threat of nuclear war has been around for a time. So even um, the third Khalifa, um, Hazrat Biza Nasr Ahmed, also spoke about this and he predicted the coming of a war, which could have grave consequences. But at the end, the theme was, or the purpose of them telling this, them was that this can be averted depending on our actions and efforts. So that was the focus of them saying this. So it's not a case about fear-mongering or scaring people. It's a case about what are your responsibilities and how we can get out of that. And I think one of the things why I kept focusing on desensitization and the why our youth are so important is because, one, these wars and things related to them will affect our future generations. So the people, our youngsters, are going to be most affected. And I think one of the things which are important or um, necessary is the education in regards to this specifically. So one of the things that um, also, so the, the uh, doomsday clock does not only include the risk from nuclear proliferation, but it also includes climate change and also risk from uh, bio and cyber security related attacks and stuff like that. So climate change is something which obviously is a lot on the news and education in schools and stuff at the moment. So a lot of our youngsters know about this and they are, I think, active and vocal about this as well. So I think in the same way, we should also have this for the other um, kind of backgrounds as well, for nuclear and also for cybersecurity. Um, Educate our youth more about the risks around this and really, really present them the reality of this so that they can also speak up about this and realise what impact this might have on the future civilizations. Um, but most powerful and uh, of what we can do and the uh, final solution is as we mentioned is prayer so that's what you've touched on already Omar as well yeah um, totally I think it all comes down uh, to that that we we need to self uh, reflect I think a, a, a quote from his holiness as well would be uh, important at this point um, in the 2019 peace symposium um, his holiness uh, mentioned uh, and I'll read a short quote uh, to the um, uh, to, to to the people uh, attending to the guests. Uh, he said, "If there's a nuclear war, we will not only be destroying the world today, but we will also be leaving behind a lasting trail of destruction and misery for our future generations. Hence, we must pause and reflect on the consequences of our actions. We should not consider any issue or conflict, whether within a country or at an international level, to be insignificant." Uh, so that was his holiness uh, at the 2019 peace con- uh, peace symposium sorry not peace conference um it, at this very venue but through uh, one of the uk's uh, largest mosques and it was again attended by a huge amounts of people from all spectrum of life and this is what we really do uh, say and as mentioned correctly uh, his holiness has mentioned that th- this all can be uh, 
be delayed even further uh, by by prayers and can, uh, and that, that is the hope that we we, we get out of it. Uh, let's take a, a short break. After that, we'll continue talking about the doomsday and what other things and maybe some other solutions that there are. Uh, because it's it is a huge topic that we need to touch on, and there may be some other conflicts that we can uh, have uh, have a touch on uh, upon, uh, which are still continuing to this day and have historical impact and be one of our other significant factors to this. So let's take a short break, and we'll be back uh, after that. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Saturday Morning Life. Here I join myself, my buddy, and my co host, Noshwan Zafar, Rahan Lajima, and Hamad Khan. We continue the conversation on. Uh, and we'll uh, start again from where we left off uh, in regards to Doomsday. But just before we continue, remember to give us a call on 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK to share your opinions on uh, the Doomsday clock and what do you think would be uh, something uh, that could improve and get this clock down even further. Uh, Rohan, you were just mentioning uh, that you, you had a few other points you wanted to go through. Um, I think we left it off on uh, what are potentially some of the different elements that can cause about destruction in the world or end of civilization, as we know. That's what apocalypse essentially means. And uh, the ICRC, the International Committee for Red Cross, have been very vocal recently, I don't know if you guys have seen on Twitter, about uh, the implications of a nuclear war and what could potentially happen. And they actually mentioned a couple of days ago that there are at the moment almost 13,000 nuclear bombs in the world, 13,000. And they said that they are pretty much ready to launch, right? So they're not in preparation or anything. And majority of them are more powerful than what we saw in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So Umar, you mentioned Hiroshima and Nagasaki earlier, um, talking about the damage that was caused by that and uh, how we talk about that still to this day about the implications and uh, the impact that had on the local community but also the wider society the whole world essentially Um, so imagine having that thousands of times more um, around the world and I think if you start comparing that compared to the damage that could be done in different cities we're talking I remember there's been some predictions that have been done um, about what would potentially happen in a nuclear war and what would happen to the UK as well. And it was mentioned that if that nuclear war was to start, then half of London would be wiped out. So five million people within London would probably die. And that's just people being affected by that initial um, warfare. If you think about the damage to infrastructure and hospitals, um, dead bodies, bodies lying around. So imagine the implication of the bio, um, the decay of bodies and all that, and uh, general infrastructure and healthcare as well. So, Yeah, so I think really what we're looking at is his absolute and total devastation. And the question is, and I, I guess many people have probably asked it before, is it better to, to go out in the initial blast or is it better to survive but but then see the horror and devastation that's left behind that's, that's really really a, a, a dark question but also really really true i think like i said 
these are the realities we need to start talking about. Yeah, because um, human nature is usually that you want to live, mm. right? But I, I've watched a few documentaries that are sort of that have sort of highlighted what happens in in a nuclear blast and sort of what's left behind. And quite honestly, if God forbid something like that happened, I wouldn't want to be around. As in, as in everything is just destroyed as you know it. Um, and and that's assuming you can survive more than a little while because the radiation is going to give you every single cancer known mm. and probably unknown cancers as well at that point. I think before we continue speaking about where the best position is to be for a nuclear, uh, if a nuclear uh, weapon is um, uh, sort of dropped on us, uh, let's just go to Hamad because uh, he wanted to have a few words as well. Hamad? Yeah, thanks for that. I, I was just, you know, thinking about the idea of like, how, how do we how do we get here? And, you know, we were just talking before the break as well about, you know, generally just political greed and whatever. And it just reminded me that, I mean, we as a global community have suffered an incredible, you know, health disaster for the past two, three years, still ongoing, still experiencing uncertainty. And there was this incredible promise for the past two years that this is it. This is where we finally realize that we are one shared global community, one shared humanity, where we can you know, resolve any sort of tribalism through communities and countries and politics and any sort of idea of racial, economic or political superiority because we are one and the same. The simple answer was that COVID will come for you all. You know, yes, of course, there was inequalities with you know particular um, sort of socio-demographics being affected by COVID, but there was this general understanding that if one country hadn't con- get, uh, gotten control of their COVID transmission, we weren't all safe. And so there was this short glimmering hope, I thought, and I think you guys, you know, everyone experienced it about having this shared global community. And I'm always struck by how quickly we sort of sprung back to the abnormal normal, which is that, you know, we think of ourselves as better islands than others and whatever else. And I think that's what really perpetuates this, um, the, the, you know, er- everything essentially that inches us towards, um, you know, close to mid- midnight according to the doomsday clock, whether that's superiority in your economics when you think that you can wage a trade war with another country, whether that's a racial or cultural superiority so that you think you can invade another's um, a country and, and, you know, sort of infringe upon the sovereignty. That's not me taking any political sides. That's just generally, you know, it's this idea of you think that you're better than everyone else or, you know, you, we think that we have the role and responsibility of conquering in any capacity other people. And it's removing this idea of shared humanity, shared lives. And you know, even like we're talking about right now, you're talking about nuclear disasters. You know, the disaster is going to affect everyone. No one's a winner in a nuclear war. It's not a war. It's a complete and utter loss for all life. Um, and it's, I think people forget that, and political leaders and just general leaders forget that when they're in this bubble of hubris, when they you know, think that their own advancements can protect them from you know, global catastrophes. But yes. that's the one supreme truth that we've learned. We're all in this together. So it just comes back then, really, to to that point I made earlier about this desensitization to the idea of war, but combining that with uh, a lack of accountability and also a lack of awareness of of consequence of actions. Because you're right, there there are no winners in such a situation. But also, there's there's an arrogance in politicians, isn't there, that my country has to lead, right? My country has to be better than so and so, right? 
and it's not a case of looking at, at, at a wider picture and saying actually do you know what we're all countries on the same planet and surely if we work together we can be in, in, in working in our interest while, while providing good to, to the other but it's always a case of us versus them in whatever context you make it right as in oh we saw brexit as as an us versus them thing we see the us and china thing with those microchips as an us versus them thing the original cold war was the same again um and really what what we're doing is is we're allowing these people who who have this sort of clearly have some sort of inferiority complex make the big decisions create these weapons that could absolutely annihilate all of us and yet we're just thinking actually me as an individual i just want to be able to travel freely around the world maybe uh, you know gain experiences see what the world has to offer and instead we've got politicians in downing street in the white house in in the kremlin and so on right making these decisions that make it difficult for me to do that and potentially no world in a few years time for any of us to to do anything like that at all no, no, Nasha, you're absolutely um, right there as well. I think you mentioned an important point there about us versus them. And I think that when it comes to especially um, events of war or kind of skirmishes or disagreements, you have this expectancy to be loyal to your country or you're not seen as patriotic. I think there's, there's nothing essentially wrong with that being patriotic to your country, but I think it's also important that we spoke about the aspect of education and teaching people the realities of what could happen or what's happening currently in the world is that where do we actually get our source of information from? Are we being fed this one-sided news that's making us essentially uh, make us focus on the part that they want us to hear? Or are we getting both sides of the argument or one or an argument which actually leads to a diplomatic solution yeah. rather than escalates war? And in terms of the whole patriotic thing, right, as in I think you can be patriotic and say, do you know what, we've got it wrong? because if you tr it's it's just like when you've got a friend a family member whoever and you can see they're doing something wrong but it, you only d go and tell them because you care for them that you know what you're not doing this right and actually you should probably reconsider it whatever that decision is whether it's a case of a new job uh sort of the friends they have or whatever it might be but in this case i i do believe as patriotic citizens we should be able to tell our governments and our representatives that actually do you know what you guys have got the wrong end of the stick we as individuals don't want to have a war with china we don't want a war with the rest of europe or whatever it might be we actually just want to live in peace with these other people um and we want to be able to to to, to do what whatever human beings do to have a healthy happy life mm. and and live in harmony with those people around us isn't in the uk particularly those of us who are in london we we almost have a good sort of a, a global view on things just because of how diverse where we live is right that's not always the case i know uh rahan you spent some time up north uh, over the last year i i grew up out in the southwest um and would you believe it? i was the only brown face probably for 10 miles right <laughs> um bar, barring my parents but it was it was a case of you come to london and you see actually there's so much to be gained from having your neighbors literal neighbors who are from other parts of the world so why not have that same sort of thinking on a bigger scale as in just because someone makes cheese but it's different to, to your cheddar cheese doesn't mean it's better or worse it's just different can mm. we just accept it for what it is not sure what you're essentially talking about here is the necessity of unity despite differences yeah. in diversity yeah. and color and nation and tribe is unity and i think the only way to establish this unity amongst mankind is believing in a common or supreme creator 
Because mm. if you believe that we are all from the same source or from all this from the same place, then it naturally creates this bond between us where we understand that yes, we are the same. So that is the first solution to I think action point to um, reduce this conflict or understand or create peace in society is recognize the creator. Yeah, 100%. And uh, <clears throat> going back to your uh, point about um, being patriotic, I think people can often take that as a nationalistic viewpoint as well. The criticism that uh, 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 people can get uh, that if we are too uh, crit- critical of our government, then we are um, being um, not very nationalistic. And this is where we have the confusion, the, the dividing lines, the lines where we, uh, the, the, the gray areas. And it sometimes uh, does seem to be that, you know, at the end of the day, we're one big family. So we should be able to, uh, in a uh, proper environment, uh, be able to criticize, uh, you know, the good and the bad. And exactly. give feedback. And on the point of cheese, Lidl has the best cheese. Just had to make that point. <laughs> fair enough. Wouldn't disagree, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hamad, uh, you want to come in and uh, give us your viewpoint? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing else much to add, but I, I do agree. You know, it's the same thing going back to the initial point about superiority, having some sort of humility in your action and really reaching out to one another. It's this idea of, we all live in the one world we all have one community um it's one social contract that we have to um you know protect um for not just ourselves but for our future generations and that's what we owe to one another in the future as well indeed indeed um that is um pretty much what we have uh done for you so let's take another short break and we're going to summarize this uh sort of show for you what we've done um unless um any one of you want to say something before we going to break? Yeah, what we've discussed has been pretty dark. So if, <laughs> if you want to go sit in a dark room with a cup of tea, go do that. <laughs> we're, ho- we're hopeful that, God willing, none of this com- comes to fruition. But it is always worth having that discussion, yeah, you know. Uh, but ho- hopefully, hopefully it still leads to a bit of self-reflection. It's so what we mentioned yeah. earlier. So your New Year's resolutions will have no importance or you won't be able to act upon them if uh, we're in a situation where... That's, that's become yeah difficult. exactly yeah. I mean there will be no hummus and carrots for you yes. if, if there's a yeah. nuclear weapon dropped right so um, exactly or nice little cheese or we, we um, affect our relationships with the uh, Middle East no hummus definitely then no hummus <laughs> indeed so yeah let's take a, a short break uh, and uh, we'll be back to summarise what we've uh, discussed at the show so far and hopefully uh, maybe give you one or two good news as well. so join us after a short break what is peace Is it the simplicities in life or something exquisite? To some, it is vague. To some, explicit. To wake in a world wishing peace would just visit. A deafening society wishing someone would just listen. Is it higher power that will bring this world new navigation? Or is it acts of kindness that will refresh our imagination? I see powerless minds in search for reconciliation, who vote for justified masterminds who need no persuasion. Freedom of speech may be a thing of the past. Society pressures have us thinking, Why we even ask? We've been silenced because of the colour of our skin. We've begun to believe that believing in God is a sin. What is peace? We ask today. A way of life. A feeling. Long way away. Who have we wronged to deserve this rubble? 
Who did we question? Who gave us this trouble? We have no shelter, we have no peace. With the one thing we had, it brought us to streets. Caught in selfish acts, money, power and greed. Who needs food when we no longer have children to feed? Where is the justice? Where is our say? Peace is what we ask for. Yet, there is more blood to pay. A new term in power. A video game for the fearless kind. A new six-figure salary. Who has a new house in mind? We are asked today, what is that you preach? Please look in our eyes. No need to question beliefs. You fear one religious mind could change the world. Fearless in thinking one bomb. And problem solved? Please justify the injustice. Stand up from your seat. We are not asking for much. We just ask justice for peace. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Saturday Morning Life. Your Joe, myself, Umar Bhatti, and my co-host Nushwan Zafar, Rahan Lachima, and Hamad Khan. Uh, we've had a lively few 10-15 minutes of the discuss- discussion. I literally forgot how to speak English there. But uh, we are now nearing the end of the show. We have the last five minutes left. Uh, we'll hopefully be able to give you sort of a rundown of what we've been talking about. Before we go a rundown, uh, just uh, Rahan uh, wanted to mention a few points and uh, then we'll give you over to Noshe. Yeah, don't worry, Umar. I think we're all in shock um, from <laughs> from what from what we're discussing and talking about. Yep. And I think we've discussed obviously the implications and what could potentially happen um, in apocalypse and a nuclear war. And then we also spoke about action points. But I think the best action points that I've seen um, in terms of logical and ones that should be implemented and make sense is the ones that are presented by His Holiness Mizar Masroor Ahmed. And he is, this is basically his pathway to peace and the nine steps to how to avoid a world war. So he says that number one should be recognize the creator, something that we mentioned, something to establish unity. Number two is to establish absolute justice, right? Number three is to foster global unity, which can only be achieved if the first two steps are followed. Number four is seek nuclear disarmament. Number five is eliminating weapon profiteering. Number six is create economic equity and eradicate poverty. Number seven, work for the good of one's nation. I think this is also something we spoke about earlier, um, your relation to your own nation, but also recognizing when something is wrong and calling that out. Number eight, reject extremism. And number nine, instill service to humanity. I think essentially number one, the recognized creator is what brings in the rest of the things as well. Those are naturally a part of that too. So I think these are, the most practical steps that we can follow. Indeed, thank you for that. No shared. Take it away. Yeah, so we've had uh, we've had uh, quite the show today. Um, so yeah, we we opened it up with with stories uh, uh, that have been circulating around in the last couple of weeks. Um, we followed that up with, with a discussion about New Year's resolutions. We talked about what we're doing as New Year's resolutions or not. Um, why some people are successful and why they're not. But also, what what do uh, believers have set as as their resolutions for a new year and, and perhaps should we even be considering the idea of of new year's resolutions at all instead should we be focusing on on small but meaningful continual improvements to ourselves um 
then in in the second half of the show we've talked about the the latest update to the doomsday clock obviously in light of of the events that are taking place in ukraine at the moment um, and how humanity is inching closer and closer unfortunately to a disaster we hope one that never unfolds but obviously this is the view of scientists at the moment that we are getting closer to a a catastrophic annihilation event um one that we still hope and believe is 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 not too late to to avert but one that that reminds us of the importance of of global unity justice and peace um and and sort of we've reviewed uh the 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 warnings as well as the advice provided by his holiness hazrat nizam masrur at the head of the amdia muslim worldwide community uh in this respect um as well as shared our thoughts on would we want to be there or not the answer is it's not um and of course um what we can be doing to ourselves as individuals to try and avert such crises from unfolding in the future um but yeah it's been a bit of a heavy show so i guess we'll move it on to something a little bit yeah. bit, <laughs> a bit lighter. I, th- I think i think the at the end of the doom and gloom i think yeah. the, the most positive thing to take away from this is that the, his holiness has also mentioned that while well, there is this warning that uh we still have time to turn things around mm. so one thing he actually gave a solution to the russia ukraine war was that um he's urging leaders and also nato especially to come about a diplomatic solution mm. but he says that the rest of the general population also has a responsibility and even if we don't physically do something without actions or we work in a field where we can't actually have an impact we can still pray and the prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do mm. so he's urged everyone to at least pray and uh for the good of our future and our future generations indeed uh, i think that's a perfectly summarized and that probably was a good news that there is a solution out there uh again uh, thank you to uh, the listeners and everyone in the studio the presenters and the technician and the producers and the staff behind uh, helping us uh, do the show um again you can come back again next week saturday and there'll be a different team uh from 10 to 12 you can listen to voice of islam uh continuously on dab ra- radio you can tweet us uh, voice of islam uk and uh, we hope you have enjoyed uh, this week's show that just leads me to say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh may peace and blessings of allah be upon you and we hope to see you next time